has for us today. So John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. This is the reading of God's living word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net onto the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, for about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it in bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. In these verses this morning, we now start the final chapter of the Gospel of John. And if chapter 1 is the prologue, then chapter 1 I mentioned earlier is the epilogue. And if you've ever read the Gospel of John before, um, straight through, you might have expected it to have ended at the conclusion of the last chapter. After all, chapter 20 ends as all the other synoptic Gospels do. You have the Lord's resurrection in chapter 20. You have his appearances to his disciples. They are commissioned in verse 21. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then, unique to the Gospel of John, you have that great climactic appointment we saw last week as Thomas confesses to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And then the Apostle closes the chapter with his purpose for writing this book, and as if the curtains are coming down, the lights are, are coming on, and as John is about to put down his pen, it's as if the Spirit of God comes upon John and says, not yet. We have one more chapter to write. And the Apostle John now records one final chapter that is not found in any of the other gospel accounts. And what we find here are really a number of timeless Lessons, not just lessons for the disciples, but lessons to all of those who are disciples. And the lessons are for effective ministry. Effective ministry. Jesus has commissioned his disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he said to them in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the great commission to go and make disciples. But here in John 21, it's not so much the message that Jesus focuses on, but the how. How? How will the great commission be carried out? Uh, the Lord up until now has always been there to provide for the disciples whatever it is that they needed. And he promised that he would continue to do so. This time, however, he demonstrates his commitment to meet their needs through, I'll call it, a living illustration. And in doing so, he brings them face to face with their own inadequacies. And as a result, our passage today illustrates two contrasting dependencies. You'll see these in the back of your notes. The disciples can either, A, depend on self, that is the title of human weakness, or B, they can depend on Christ, and that is his divine power. And these aren't just lessons for them, as I mentioned. These are lessons for us as well. How we, as a church, will carry out this great commission and serve the Lord. So that's our simple outline today. Will we and will they depend on self and human weakness? Or will they and we depend on Christ and his divine power? So let's begin with number one, where we see human weakness. And we see this pictured for us in the first five verses of chapter 21. Let's notice how verse one begins. It says, after this, or after these things, metatata, and that's referring to after a certain amount of time here. It's after his resurrection appearances that were recorded in the last chapter. After Jesus appeared to Mary. After Jesus appeared to the disciples. After he appeared then again to Thomas. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. This word revealed or manifested means more than just how the NIV translates it. He appeared. It means to make clear or visible. It means what has been hidden or unknown will now become manifest. Whether by word or by deed, Jesus is going to reveal or manifest himself in some way through a sign. Through a sign. And so after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And by the time John's writing this gospel, the Sea of Galilee, really a lake, is now become known as the Sea of Tiberias. And you'll recall it's the Sea of Galilee where Jesus had first met Peter and Andrew and James and John. And they dropped their nets, and Jesus says, come follow me. So as all of them had grown up around in this area and worked here, they were fishermen they know this area quite well. And we now learn the disciples are no longer in Jerusalem. That's where we had left them. And they are back now in Galilee, the, the northern part of Israel. Jesus told the women upon his resurrection, Matthew 28, 10, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So here they're in compliance with the Lord's request. So after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And at the end of verse 1, John says, and he revealed himself in this way, or to these people. <laughs> verse 2, Simon Peter. Thomas, called the twin, or Didymus. Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Debede, uh, Zebedee, James and, and John. They were otherwise known as the sons of thunder. And two other of his disciples, probably Andrew and Philip, and they were all together. Notice who's mentioned first, Simon Peter. P 
Peter's always mentioned first. He's sort of the, uh, the point man. He, he's seen as, as the leader. But you'll notice he's referred to as Simon Peter. Simon Peter. And whenever John refers to Peter as Simon Peter, kind of when my mother would call me Nicholas. Nicholas, that was the name that I had done something wrong. And it's a reference referring to Simon Peter acting like the old Simon. That was his old name. Simon Peter. Simon was B.C., but when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So John says Simon Peter. And then isn't it interesting who's second on the list? Thomas, called Didymus, which means the twin. Um, might be reading too much into this, but I find it interesting that Thomas now comes next in, in this list. And as we go through this final chapter, we realize this is really a chapter of restoration. This is a chapter of God's grace. And this is one of the key focuses. And out on the boat is, oh, Simon Peter, who we last saw denying the Lord three times and doubting Thomas. I see an illustration of God's grace. Guess what? Simon Peter and Thomas are back on the team. They're in the boat. Simon the denier, Thomas this doubter. Well, they arrived in Galilee as commanded. Lord said, go to Galilee. There you will see me. We don't know how long they waited in Galilee, but at some point, verse 3, Simon Peter said to the other disciples, I am going fishing. Now, the Lord did not tell him to go fishing. The Lord said, go to Galilee, and there you will see me. But Simon Peter is, well, so impatient and so impulsive He's going to just take matters into his own hands. And he says to them, I am going fishing. And this is, once again, the same old Simon Peter. This is why the name is being... What did Simon Peter used to do? He's doing the things the way that, well, he wants to do them. This is a picture for us of ourselves. BC, our old life. And this is a teaching moment for us. For as a teacher or a leader, whether it be in a church in your home, in a discipleship group, you have a certain amount of influence on, on those who are around you, and you can either be edifying in the truth, um, or your influence as a, a false teacher can be incredibly destructive if people don't have discernment. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the status which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by wave and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every trickery of man, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all into him, Christ who is the head, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is opposite of what Simon Peter is doing. Instead of being fitted and held together with Christ, who's the head, he's leading the disciples astray. This is same old Simon Peter just doing things his way. So in verse 3, Simon Peter said to him, I am going fishing and guess what they said? Oh, we, we will go with you too. We, we'll go where you're leading us. And this is what human weakness looks like. This is what human wisdom on our own gets us. 
And this is essentially how deception can begin. The preacher says, well, let's go this way. And it's close to what God thought. Well, he bends it just enough. So instead of going right here, we're going to go right over here just a little bit. And if you are not in the truth, and if you are not connected and abiding to the truth, if you don't flat out know the truth, you can be led astray. And like Ephesians 4 says, next thing you know, you're going to be tossed here and there by the waves and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine and trickery of men and scheming, deceitful scheming, craftiness. Simon Peter is not necessarily intentionally being crafty or, or deceitful here. He's just walking according to the flesh and he's headed in the wrong direction. It can be dangerous just the same. So they went out and got into the boat. And, and what's also interesting here is the boat, I'm not going to bore you with the language, but it's a definite article, the boat. Uh, it suggests a specific boat as in the boat, like that's Peter's, that's the boat, his business boat. That's the boat, the one that he used to use for his fishing. Simon, Peter, his boat, the boat for fishing. And we'll get down to this next week, but... Look down at verse 15 just for a moment. Chapter 21, verse 15. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? What's he mean? These what? These men? No. These nets. These boats. This fishing thing you got. Do you love me more than these? This is about who do you love? Do you love me more than these trappings that are in your life? So we read in verse 3, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. What a surprise. These are professional fishermen. I'm guessing this was pretty uh, extraordinary. They, they know how to fish if they know anything. They know the Sea of Galilee like the back of the hand. They caught absolutely nothing. Zippo, they were shut out. They fished the entire night, and there wasn't even a, a, a minnow in that net. And the reason they caught nothing is the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth would not allow them to catch anything in order to reteach them a very important lesson. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is what happens when we try to accomplish spiritual things on our own. The Lord Jesus Christ taught this to them back in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. There he said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There will be zero fruit in your life if you and I are not continuously abiding, resting in, relying upon the true vine. Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, not just fruit, much fruit. And now here's the punchline, for apart from me you can do Nothing. I mean, yes, you can go to work. Yes, you can get in your car and drive to the car wash and, and run that thing through, and, and that's fine. But apart from abiding in the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do nothing of significance, nothing spiritual for the kingdom of God. Apart from abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, our ministry will have zero fruit. And that is a lesson that Jesus will now teach these disciples. You just cannot go off on your own, half-cock, do things your own way, and expect there to be any fruit. And what is happening in the physical realm, not catching any fish, is intended to teach them truth in the spiritual realm. That as fishers of men, you will catch nothing on your own, 
unless I abide in you and you in me. So that night they caught nothing. So after a fruitless night of fishing, notice what verse 4 says. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Imagine that. Yet the disciples, notice, did not know that it was Jesus. That's interesting. So after fishing all the way through the night, um, it is now uh, sunrise. Early in the morning, they're very likely tired and hungry. No doubt they are discouraged and disappointed. They probably haven't been thinking of the Lord at all. I didn't see that they were praying any. Um, if they were looking forward to anything, it's probably they're, they're ready to get something in their stomachs. They're hungry. They want to eat, and they want to go to bed. They're exhausted. They're defeated. No fish. Fished all night long. But at that moment, Jesus appears, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now, why didn't they recognize him? They've already recognized him. The Lord has already appeared to them. Peace be with you. Why didn't they recognize him here? Well, um, it could have been the day was just breaking. Maybe it was still dark and that was going on. Or maybe it was because they were simply too far away. We see in verse 8, they were about 100 yards off a football field away. Or maybe it was more spiritual than physical. Maybe this entire story is not about guys and whether they are catching fish or not. They are to be fishers of men. This is a picture. Maybe their eyes were, well, I don't know, kept from recognizing him as the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We're not told. So they didn't know. So let's look at verse 5. And it says, so Jesus said to them, children... Now, let's just stop right there for a moment. This isn't like that tender moment in the upper room that Jesus says compassionately, little children. No, this is like you're acting like a bunch of children. There's a note of sarcasm here. He isn't calling them men. He's not calling them disciples. They're not apostles. They're not elders. They're children. Why would he call them that? Because they're not acting like the men who I have commissioned. So Jesus said, children, do you have any fish? Does Jesus not know this answer already? So this isn't as much a question as a statement. Hey, children, did you catch any fish? Oh, you struck out, did you, huh? What do you know? What are the chances? The lesson here is clear, is if you continue to not rely upon me, there will be nothing in your nets. And this is the lesson that they needed to learn, and it's a lesson that you and I need to learn. <laughs> that moment by moment, we need to be abiding, connected to, relying upon the one true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. And not be disconnecting ourselves and going off and, and doing it on our own. And this is why every day in, in ministry we must be a people who are praying before we, we ever leave our homes. Pray without ceasing. We must be totally dependent upon Christ. Listen, we are all commissioned. We're all commissioned. Wherever the Lord has you, that is your mission field. But you cannot do it alone. And you cannot do it your own way. So that's lesson number one, the, the lesson of, the, of human ability, uh, the uh, ministry about human weakness, we will ultimately fail. So we move now from, from human weakness to divine power. We'll leave human weakness over there and give me some of that divine power over here where human weakness fails in ministry. God's divine power succeeds in ministry. And this was the Lord's divine promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as he told the disciples about the coming Holy Spirit. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is how gospel preaching will go forth. It's not going to be by our intellect. It's not going to be by our craftiness or our wittiness or, or by what you know and how you can do it. But through obedience to God's word, by his power, the power of God's spirit. So let's look at verse six. Jesus will reinforce yet another lesson as, as these disciples must learn to follow the Lord's direction. They're not free to do things their own way. They're going to have to do things God's way. They got to do things God's way. So beginning in verse six, Jesus said to him, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. Just, just cast your net a, a, a few more feet over here. You, you, the net was here. You're going to need to put your net just over here. Now, this probably seemed like an absolutely foolish thing to say to these professional fishermen. They know the spots. They've been fishing these areas for years. But Jesus is teaching them yet another very important lesson. You're going to have to follow my blueprint. If I say there, you need to go there. If I say this way, you need to go that way. If I say there's no other way but through me, there's no other way way but through me so this is the way that you're going to succeed in your ministry so jesus said to them cast it on the right side of the boat and you will find some <laughs> pretty straightforward instruction we're, we're gonna have to do it god's way and, and and the blueprint is right here in the book okay this is our guide so 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 cast your net to the right side of the boat, and even if every other church in town is casting the nets on the left side of the boat, or in front of the boat, or, or almost to the right side, but not quite there, and you're the only church in town casting your net on the right side of the boat, we will follow what this book says. I know today we, we think we're so much more knowledgeable and intelligent than those people who wrote the bible all those many thousands of years ago and we we've we've come so far and we know so much more now than than those hex knew back then they didn't know anything and so you need to get with the times and change so it doesn't matter how other people are doing it what matters is, are you following the Lord's direction? Are you following what he says to do? So notice what we read beginning in the middle of verse 6. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This is no coincidence. <laughs> you think that they just ran, this just all of a sudden randomly happened? They go from zero fish to a whole lot of fish? Just as they did not catch any fish throughout the entire night, now the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, commands these fish go in. So many fish went in, they were not able to haul it in. He's teaching them another important lesson here. Do you see it? You cast the nets, I'll fill them. You cast, I'll fill. He is sovereign even in the salvation of his people. And, and just as Jesus commanded the fish to swim into their nets, he also commands lost sinners to enter into the kingdom of heaven. As fishers of men, they are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, by sovereign authority, will draw the souls of men to enter into God's kingdom. And, and this in itself should have jogged their memories. It's really almost a reenactment of, of Luke chapter 5. 
you want to turn there just for a moment, Luke chapter 5, Jesus miraculously filled two of their boats with so many fish, the boats almost sank. I know Peter never forgot this day. Luke 5, we could pick it up in verse 8. The whole story is 1 through 11. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, all these fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So the same crew that is here was there in Luke 5, many years before. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Jesus has already taught him this. It's as if he's tapping him on the forehead and saying, Hello, I'm the sovereign one. <laughs> so back to uh, chapter 21. And to finish verse 6 quickly, the, the, the Lord gives a command. Okay? He gives him a command. He said, cast the net on the right side of the boat. This time the disciples are obedient to the command. And they cast the nets to the right. And the Lord blesses them abundantly for their obedience. And then notice next, verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved. Now we know who that is. That's the Apostle John. John is so humble that he's been commissioned to write this gospel He's just the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> that, that's all I care to be known as. He never mentions his own name. He's just the disciple whom Jesus loved. Therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, how does he suddenly know or come to the realization that it is the Lord? And they obeyed his instruction, thus participated in the blessing, it suddenly dawns on him. John's eyes were opened. No one can do what he just did. And so Peter says, It's the Lord! It's the Lord! Lord! Kurios! Master! Sovereign One! Ruler! He's the King of Kings! Lord of Lords! So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Simon Peter is always going 100 miles per hour, is he not? It's just which direction is he going in? When he's going in the wrong direction, he's puffed up, he's lopping off guys' ears, he's denying the Lord three times. But when he's going in the right direction, he's uh, boldly preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's leading the other disciples by example. And scenes like here that we love, we see just how much that he loves the Lord. And in this moment when he realizes it's him, it's the Lord, he just dives out of the boat and, and begins to swim to the shoreline. All he knows is he needs to be next to his Lord. I want to be where the Lord is. And so I'm not waiting for this boat. I'm jumping out and swimming he was quick to fall into sin. He's quick to be restored. He just wants to be where the Lord is. Who doesn't love Peter? I mean, isn't he going to be one cool guy to talk to in heaven? I can't wait. Well, in verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. There are so many fish, they were literally dragging the net in order to get to the shoreline. And this is a picture of the great harvest. That these men will soon experience firsthand at Pentecost. When about 3,000 souls of men will be saved on that day. It's just 30 days from now. And the Lord will continue to add to that number day by day those who were being saved. And so this is 
a picture of just the start of what's going to happen. In the verses 9 through 11, these disciples learn yet another lesson. They, they not only will they catch the fish, but as fishers of men, every fish by God's grace, he will keep. He will keep. See if you can notice this in our next section, verse 9. So when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, now notice this, the net was not torn. Why does John record that? Seems kind of like a a throwaway verse there at the end. It seems kind of unimportant to everything else that's going on. Let me suggest to you that this is a miracle inside of a miracle. This was 153 large mega, megas, massively large fish. 153, and so John adds this intentionally for us. Remember, fishing isn't about fishing, it's about ministry. And so he adds, although there were so many, the net was not torn. In other words, the fact that this net didn't break is a miracle in and of itself. The Lord kept the net from breaking. And what's the point of this, you ask? What's the message? is to teach them that if you trust in me and if you will abide in me, then you will bear much fruit and your fruit will remain. I'm not losing a single one of them, the Lord says. It's John 15, 16. Again, we've already learned this. The Lord says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. In other words, a a true born-again believer will never fall out of the net. One's not in the net and then suddenly getting out or going through. People aren't just going to be walking down this aisle and raising their hands and, and praying a prayer. And then the last, last time that you ever see them again, if they are a true believer, no. No, real fruit, true fruit remains. It remains. And what Jesus is teaching them is once saved, always saved. Once caught, always caught. It's John eight thirty one. If you continue or abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. 1 John 2, verse 19 says, they went out from us, and this helps explain whether it be antichrist or false Christ or false believers, when they were here and they were singing the songs and they had the big Bible and they were showing up to Bible study and, and I thought they were one of us, but then they left. God, you said you would never lose one of them. What happened to, to them? I, I knew him. 1 John two nineteen tells us, because this church went through that. The early church to the late, all that, that this has happened forever. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. There are always tares sown in with the weeds. Matthew 13, 25. But every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will continue to follow the Lord. There may be bumps along the way and hardships and trials, but they will never fall away. The Lord won't bless them with eternal life and say, I know I said eternally, but it was only temporary for you. You had had a short life. You had two years worth of life. I'm, I'm taking the eternal part back. The one who who makes the the emotional response one Sunday or or the one who 
was never one of us, who doesn't continue to follow Christ, was never truly converted to begin with. It's a picture of who Judas was. Jesus also taught this in John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. The message is, is as you go out and preach the gospel, I will bring people into your net, and the net of the gospel will never break. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Well, he has one final lesson to teach in verses 12 through 14. And it's the lesson of intimate fellowship that we must have with the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to have any success at all in ministry, we must continue to abide in a personal and intimate relationship with the great I am. So notice verse 12. Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. I mean, can you even imagine Jesus making you breakfast? <laughs> He's no longer the suffering servant. But the risen Christ, and he's still serving, isn't he? He loves his own, demonstrates that love in this simplest act of kindness. And, and notice, it's an invitation. Come, he says, come. Come and sit down so, so we can break bread and have fellowship together. And how gracious of our Lord. The Lord does not scold them. This was never about disobedience and, and punishment. And he doesn't say, what were you guys thinking? He could have. But instead, the Lord is, is so patient and, and so long-suffering, even with these disciples, that rather than rebuke them, he blesses them. And rather than scold them, he comforts them and serves them. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. And, and he draws them in, as he draws all of us in, with his goodness and his grace. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. <laughs> so, all of them recognize, uh, yeah, it's abundantly clear now who this is. No one has ever loved them the way he loved them. They knew it was the Lord. So verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread, the bread of life, and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Personally, he's attending their needs. These men were out all night long. They are hungry. They are tired. They are broken. Jesus meets them right at their point of need. And, and no doubt he said something like, you have got to stay connected to me, men. You have got to. If we are going to turn this world upside down, you have got to stay connected in close, personal fellowship with me. Verse 14 closes this beautiful scene. And it says, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples. And man, did he ever. <laughs> he, he, do you see? He revealed himself more than just physically. It was more than just Jesus appeared to his disciples. No. He manifested himself. He revealed himself 
in this special way. Jesus pulled back the veil that was over their eyes and allowed his sovereign deity to come shining through, opening their eyes up. And for them to see that, it would be by his divine power. And that is what he will use to make their ministry effective. And that must just be such a load off of their shoulders. And is it not a load off of ours? It's not all up to you. You might plant the seeds. So you might come along and, and water it. But it will be God who germinates the seed and causes it to grow. You cast the net, but he's the one who commands the fish to swim into the net. And he is the one who keeps that net from breaking. That's the lesson. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, Paul writes, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers, through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, Paul says, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. I ain't nothing. I'm throwing the seed. You're coming along with the water. It is God who will bring the increase. This is a lesson we all need to hear today and, and every day. Every single one of us has a mission field. But in order for it to be an effective ministry, we must totally and completely, 100% abide in and depend on the true vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't abide in Christ 80% of the time and expect to see an effective ministry happening. We can't do it 85, 90. We can't do it 95% of the time. We have to be all in, totally dependent upon the Lord and his grace. We have to humble ourselves every single day before the Lord. On our knees, we need to be praying before we go out wherever your mission field is. And we saw in this little illustration today, God opposes the proud. But guess what? He gives grace to the humble. And if you are here today and you don't abide in the one true vine, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee for you. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you who are double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep over your sin. Let laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Jesus said in John 15, 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So you see, abiding and not abiding isn't an invitation that we politely accept or, or refuse. We are commanded to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. Jesus then commands us graciously. He calls us, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy with laden, all you who have lived by religiousosity. Throw it away, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Religion is a yoke that you could never bear. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you ever turned to the Lord and cried out, Lord, have mercy upon me, for I am a sinner. Did you know that Jesus bled and died on Calvary's cross in order to pay our debt of sin? Did you know he who 
knew no sin, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by his wounds you have been healed. It's the great exchange. This is the good news. It's the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his unique, one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-duplicated, replaced, changed, distorted, one and only son that whosoever believes in him. The gospel is for the whosoever would believe should not perish but have eternal life. I call on you today to declare Jesus as Lord and to confess him with your mouth and to believe in your heart that Jesus rose him from the dead. And the Bible says, and you shall be saved. He who has ears, let him hear. I will close with Revelation 20, verse 20. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago, surely I'm coming soon. And God's time is not our time. But he said he's coming, and he's coming back. I pray that you are ready for him to come. Trust in Christ. Believe in him. Throw yourself at the foot of the cross. If God has pierced your heart today, if, if you are in need of prayers, I want to encourage you that you can come forward or, or we could stay after service together. We'd be happy to do that with you. I want to invite you to please stand as we sing praise the King. Praise the King.